Hey, it's Sean Fennessy. We've got something special cooking on the Prestige TV podcast. I'll be recapping one of my favorite shows, HBO's Barry, every Sunday night with the writer-director star of the show, the great Bill Hader. We'll talk about the show's wild twists and turns, its special brand of dark comedy, and how it all came together. So on Sunday nights, immediately after a new episode airs, you can hear Bill and I break it all down on the Prestige TV pod. Subscribe on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Mint Mobile. If you've had it with your overpriced wireless plan with its insanely high monthly bill and unexpected overages, then listen to this. For a limited time, wireless plans from Mint Mobile are $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan. That's unlimited talk, text, and data for $15 a month. Wow, right? To get this new customer offer, just go to mintmobile.com slash watch. That's mintmobile.com slash watch. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower, above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for more details. There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with a personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. I need support staff to clear the room. Stand up and walk. Now. Hello and welcome to The Watch. My name is Chris Ryan. I am an editor at TheRinger.com and joining me on the other line for the first time in what seems like months doing some shenanigans at the valet stand. It's Andy Greenwald. This isn't just transatlantic, buddy. This is transcontinental. We're, we're talking to each other at a distance, a great distance of 5,000 miles. Across an ocean, across a planet podcast with each other? Emotionally, there have been times when that has been the gulf between us, certainly. But I think, but 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 in terms of physical distance, I don't know. Certainly, during True True Detective season one, was it was (laughs) yeah that cast an ocean like expanse. Uh, Andy, I am recording this podcast on an undisclosed day during the week previous to this episode of Breaking Mm. uh, Better Call Saul that we're going to be talking about. It's Monday night. Weirdly, Um, I'm recording it on Monday night. Yeah, so, so this is the hologram part. No, mm-hmm. uh, we wanted to make sure that we covered this episode of Better Call Saul. So uh, I'm over in England working uh, where Andy just was on vacation. It's been such a long time since we've actually recorded together. So this is such a thrill. We are obviously going to get into this uh, third episode of Better Call Saul, Rock and Hard Place in just a few minutes. But I just wanted to hear your the timbre of your damn voice. God, you look beautiful. Tell me all about you. Tell me everything about me. all your takes. This is a free fire zone. No, you can just no, get no. As many stuff, no, no. things off you want. If this wasn't like an 11 p.m., people are dying to know about a giant episode of television. I would let you know all of my most cutting edge opinions about all of 2021's least memorable movies that I watched on the airplane flights. Uh-huh. I think we should save it. I think we should save it. I think the people have waited a long time to hear my take on James Bond: No Time to Die. So I think like we can we can punt that into next week. I mean, unless do you think I'm wrong? No, I think that Thursday's Thursday show should just be me catatonic jet lag and you <laughs> yeah. being like bullet points as I'm like, you are correct, sir. Um, should we just get into Saul? I think we have to. Honestly, Chris, when we made this plan to swap international destinations and time zones and then do this podcast, I didn't expect the third episode of the sixth season to be one that would demand an instant response. But it is. 
It yeah, is. So here we is. are. Let's get so, into it. So, uh, spoilers, if you have not seen this episode of Better Call Saul, stop listening. <laughs> right <laughs> There's now. There's no, no way around it. Don't have a fun time. Don't. We're not generally speaking about it. Because this is probably up to date. This is probably the most momentous mm-hmm. episode of the series so far. There have been parts that have been really thrilling. There have been parts that have been gripping. There are parts that have been cool. But nothing sort of changed the chessboard the way uh, tonight's episode did with the death of Nacho Varga. So... Straight up off the bat, Andy, we haven't even talked about how you felt about the first two episodes, mm-hmm. so I wanted to get your sense of how you felt like this major plot point was handled and the season so far. Because, you know, we you blink, and now half of this first mm-hmm. installment of season six is, is already out. I am of two minds about all of it. I want to start from a very safe and familiar place, which is there is no better produced or executed show on television than Better Call Saul. We have said this at length. We've said it year after year. But once again, through three episodes, I'm absolutely floored by what this team does. And I really think team is the right sense, not just because of all the information we've gotten over the last few months about how three main cast members, Bob Odenkirk, Patrick Fabian, and Ray Seahorn, like like live together. That's how close they are. But the team on the ground in Albuquerque, the full cast, the production crew, all the department heads, the writing staff, the directors that come in, like these people have worked together for a very long time and it is masterful. It's masterful. I mean, you, you, part of me watching this season is like, we may never see pros execute on this level. Like again, you know, mm-hmm. I think that for anyone who works in any challenging creative field, you're constantly feeling like you're doing the best you can. That's the only way you can get through it. But you're also thinking, oh, if I had one more bite at that apple. Oh, I've, I've learned so much. Oh, I could do it again. I don't think there's ever been such an illustration of the beauty of cumulative knowledge of television storytelling as this crew has put together. Because they made one of, not arguably, one of the greatest TV shows of all time. And they ran it back. And everything we're seeing is both happening in the moment on the show that we're all enjoying, but it also is in some ways a corrective to things that they may have done differently in the past that they wanted another run at, you know? Mm. So I'm kind of, I remain floored by it, you know, not just the little like visual aesthetic curly cues, like the way the season opened with the ties and the beautiful montage, but just the way that they take a situation such as Nacho's impossible circumstance Yes. Right. And again, I think it is the maturity of the storytellers involved where they were like, we have we know when someone is written into a corner like this is this is a team that has often excelled well, this, when they've this written is a themselves show that into corners. starts in, in a corner. Yeah. Like they continually are like, let's see if we can figure out a way out of this. And, yeah. And yeah. famously, you know, when it, the last season of Breaking Bad opened with Walter in that flash forward of an indeterminate time with a beard and the gun in the trunk, they have now admitted, Vince Gilligan and his writers, including Peter Gould, who is the co-creator of Better Call Saul, they didn't know what, what was going to happen next. Yeah. They laid a marker for themselves to see if they could meet that challenge. They know when they have written someone into a corner and then you have to just deal with the realities of the corner. So the nacho circumstance this is where it was going. And I think that there's a part of me that was like, just as I often am with the show, I just admire it. You know, there's a low rent D minus version of a guy with his back against the wall being taken off the board. And then there's the A plus version, which was uh, on display tonight. So I admire and respect that they just steered into it. They didn't get cute. They didn't have an escape strategy. They didn't have a way to like push this into the next half of the season. This was the time where this made sense on their big board and they did it. And so that you know is what? my admirable, my admiring positive big picture. I have 
a zag. But first, I want to hear your take on it. Well, okay, so I would just say that this episode kind of reminded me of like, you know, when you go see a band that's got three or four really good albums, but two or three hits, maybe not hits like on the Billboard charts, but hits among their fan base. And they yeah. play one of the hits third. And you're like, oh, ah, yeah, it's where are you guys going to go from here? Like, yeah, you guys already played that. I was building this up. I waited for the openers. I've had three beers. And now I was like, this is going to be last or second to last or an encore. And now it's third. And so now I feel almost like I've emotionally peaked in just like where we still have so much time left to go. I guess the reality is we do not have that much time to go. I mean, it right. is sort of strange that we've been waiting two years and now we're halfway through this first uh, installment, the second installment coming, I believe, in the end of the summer or sometime in midsummer. Mm-hmm. You know, I would echo everything you said about the, uh, the the community of people who make this show. It's gotten to the point now where I've never seen Marshall Adams or Allison Tatlock or Gordon Smith, but I almost like announce their names as if I'm like the Lakers announcer when I see him. I'm like, yep. and coming in from director of photography university, Marshall Adams. They also have really you good names to, to announce. Um, I thought that this was at once a heartbreaking and unsentimental development for this show. Yeah. And it was interesting. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of want to harp a little bit about this thing that you're talking about with them, them writing themselves into corners and increasingly finding uh, these elaborate balletic ways both for their characters to behave, but also for their writing to be executed to get themselves out of these corners. Because um, I almost felt like Nacho was the example of a Better Call Saul plotline. Not that ran out of air like in a bad way, but that he was just too tired. And he just was done trying to figure out uh, three-card Monty games, especially when confronted with the three cards of that he was playing Monty with or the three card Monty game that he was playing, he was playing against the cousins, like the twins or the, you know, you know, the cousins mm-hmm. and he was the playing against yeah. the Salamancas and Gus. There are no winners in that. If you're, if you're Nacho, like there's, there's really no daylight there. Mm-hmm. And he had one friendly face in Mike and they had had a conversation a couple seasons ago. I can't remember if it was last season or the season before that, where essentially as Mike is getting more and more involved with Gus Nacho says to him, do you know who you work for? Like, Because those guys have had their dealings mm-hmm. over the, the pill dealer and everything else. And Mike is basically like, do you know who you work for? You know what I mean? Like, I told you when you were getting involved with these people that this could get very, very heavy. And it's mm-hmm. getting heavy. So I don't understand why you're involved. And Nacho says at that moment, my dad. You know, like they have a gun to my dad's head, metaphorically. And they still had that gun on him. And I think that for fans of the show who were fans of Nacho and obviously fans of Michael Mando's performance, maybe we were expecting a a slightly more like operatic or uh, grace note of an episode from his exit. Mm -hmm. He is obviously a character who's not in Breaking Bad, so we were led to believe that he had either gone to Manitoba or died, Uh, Mm -hmm. one or the other. And it was the latter. And yeah, man, I mean, in some ways I was kind of... I, well, once once they shared the shot of tequila, I was like, I don't think he's going to get out of this. You know, I don't I don't think Mike has an escape hatch. There are no mm-hmm. more oil tankers to hide in. There are no more tricks to play. Like he's got to choose between the best of all worst possible outcomes. Yeah, I think let's take a moment and say that one of the things that is just consistently a joy in television is when an actor gets a chance and makes the most of it. And Michael Mando has had a you know really nice career. He was in Orphan Black. 
he's 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 I think he's the like the avatar of a very successful video game franchise. I learned during my cursory Wikipediaing last night. He's a you know he's, he he went to like some of Canada's best acting schools. He's he's fine and he's a really good performer. Though no one was questioning that, but his ability to meet the moment that the shows have that the show gave him is really awesome, yeah. and he deserves a lot of respect and acclaim for what he did physically this season by playing different modes of desperation, you know, and, and, and resignation. I just thought it was a really powerful performance. And I, and I love when people, you don't expect them to be bad, but you're always stunned when they just continue to get better. Um, that's, that's one of the great things about watching a long running TV show. And so I love that. I think that your point about, um, Nacho running out of road in his fictional life is really worth digging into in relation to his character's life and within the larger construct of the show. Because one of the struggles of Better Call Saul that they've made look easy, but is sometimes worth hearkening back to, is, you know, this was a really, really tight box to try to create something exceptional in because it's a prequel. So we know how a lot of the characters are ending up. But it's not just that it's a prequel. It's essentially two, if not more, TV shows at once always. And one of the dings on it during maybe low points, and not there were no, no low points, let's say slower points in seasons one, two, and three, was that people liked the Mike show, but maybe they didn't like the Jimmy show as much or mm-hmm. the Jimmy and Chuck show. Yeah. Or, you know, that the um, the Gus Salamanca stuff was deep, deep, deep Breaking Bad fanfic, basically. I mean, obviously it's not fanfic if it's written by the creators, but it was fan service, let's say, in terms of just like, we get to see Tuco one more time. Um, I don't think I cared that much about seeing Tuco one more time, but it was fun because that mm-hmm. was a character that we liked and you know had an important role to play in Breaking Bad. Nacho wasn't really on the same show as the other characters very much. And so I can't imagine the challenges that the writers had to keep him in play as much as they did. Ultimately, I felt a little frustrated last night because he was so expendable. Not that he didn't break my heart, not that the choices that he made weren't compelling um, in and of themselves, and also what they said about Mike's role in this organization and how he's changed over the past few seasons. But it ultimately was a little extraneous, and you felt like they had to X this off because now they have, what do they have, seven, eight episodes left to to do the stuff that is, I guess, arguably more important. I, I, I realize this sounds a little uh, callous, but there simply wasn't room. And I was feeling this a little bit last night. Again, I know it sounds pejorative and judgy. I, I, I actually am just always stunned about how well they've constructed this and how, how they've turned potential negatives into positives. But I do have to take a moment to, to just to note that, that like, there really wasn't that much room for Nacho to have more to him for this to land more heavily. He never crossed paths with Jimmy again. His relationship with his father was beautifully done in the small strokes that it was done, but that was all there was room for. He had the the two young women living in his condo who have now taken the money and moved on. But I felt a little bit really, like I'm, the- by, by the way, I'm really pulling for those gals. I think they're going to make it. I think they're going to do fine. I think they're going to they're, they're going to start over, go to back to trade school. Like tiny Wu-Tang, um, it's all out in front of them. It, it really is. That could be the next spinoff, by the way, and perhaps we should pitch it. Um, 
do you know what I mean? Like they gave him as much as they could give him at the end, including suddenly, you know, finding this out, this really powerful spine to just like basically spit in Hector Salamanca's face and stand up to everyone. And then, you know, in, in the ultimate act of, I guess, aggressive narrative ownership, do to himself what they were all going to do to do to him anyway and accept that. But I did in that moment feel like there wasn't that much. I wish we had had more from him or I wish it had been more connected to the larger story, you know, because it was such an epic moment. That that was so, a long way of saying a very mild criticism. I, I, I completely hear you. I think that um, I, I would add these two things. And and hopefully we can stop. I feel like we're in like the House of Commons, and I'm like on one side of the bench, and I'm like, "Good honorable sir, may you please tell me." Um, maybe it's just because of where I am. I would say that uh, I thought I thought Nacho played a pretty crucial role in this show, and I, you know, you could say that he was supposed to be kind of the audience avatar for the street level show that Better Call Saul was, and for mm-hmm. the um, for the drug dealing aspect of the show that brought together the Salamanca or the Salamancas and the Fring Empire was sort of already kind of uh butting up against one another and, and interlocked by the time he's he's introduced early on in the series. But he is plays a crucial role in bringing Jimmy into the underworld, you know, with mm-hmm. his like dealings with the Kettlemans um and then obviously he kind of interacts with Mike at a very nascent stage of Mike's relationship uh with the with the new Albuquerque underworld. And then throughout I thought he kind of had an interesting parallel storyline to Saul or to Jimmy where life is not necessarily about destiny and fate. And even I I think sometimes storytelling relies a little too heavily on those ideas so that you can just kind of forecast where somebody is going to go and then take them there and just be like, it was fate. It was destiny. Like for Nacho, I think Nacho is an accumulation of small decisions, just like Jimmy is Mm. going to be. And if you go back and read everything that Nacho did on this series, it's so fucked up because he's just like kind of like, eh, then I ripped off this pill dealer. But then it turned yeah. out that like I was going to get in trouble for ripping off a pill dealer and not telling Tuco. And then I started taking an extra package from Gus and then I got sucked into that. And then I started, then Hector threatened my father. So I took him out and then I was in debt to Gus and then I was in debt back to Lalo. And then I was, you know, basically it had become clear that one way or another, it was either going to be me or my father and probably both of us. And I just wound up out of options. And, you know, it, it's so interesting to watch them do half of an episode of classic Breaking Bad. Like, how is Lalo going to escape these guys? And he's like, yeah. in the tanker. And then he finds a kindly you know, mechanic. And then he's got his coveralls and he's making his way slowly, slowly. And then when they cut, after that phone call to Mike and you're like, Oh, that's the phone call at the end of second, the second episode. And you see that, that that's the conversation that's going to be had. And you know, as soon as he's just like, if they're going to, if they go after your father, they're going to have to come through me that might, that not just decision is made. So he gets his last supper of microwave chicken. And yeah, they could have done better on that, by the way. That was I, maybe it would have tipped the hand. Is the implication had, like, that that's Poyos Hermanos? Like I was, I was just kind of like, can you guys have a chicken restaurant? You know. But also, it's kind of obnoxious to be like, this is your last meal, and you get to eat my proprietary chicken blend. Like, yeah, but before I tag you own. up, yeah, and like the, the Salamancas had quite a few surgical tools, so it was like yeah. they were like, oh yeah, we got to beat you up so that it looks good. It's like, all right, um, I wanted to ask you if you thought that my, it, did you understand Mike's plan in the. The show was like Mike, like you're gonna run and Victor's gonna shoot you 
to yes. make it quick the, the, instead the, of them the, performing the open heart like, surgery on you? You're going to be able to get out of the zip ties and you're going to run. And our guy is just going to put you down quick. Right. Like, because they're not going to do it that way. No, nobody really likes Victor very much. No. <laughs> and maybe we know no. what happens to him. So you know, like. I, I, I want to circle back, though, because I thought you made a really, really great point just then about Nacho's fate being an illustration of this show's entire thematic purpose, right? Which is, there was a great piece, um, I think The New Yorker ran this week, talking about, and, and I don't, I, I really don't have a, a dog in the which show is better fight. Um, I think that's kind of a popular topic to weigh in on. But I did appreciate the New Yorker framing because it was basically like Better Call Saul is best viewed as a corrective to Breaking Bad. Uh, not yeah. that there was anything necessarily wrong with Breaking Bad, but the framing of it was that no matter what happened, we would be rooting for Walter, no matter how evil he got. And it was the same difficult man problem that faced that David Chase faced with Tony Soprano. He kept showing people the monster, and everyone was like, Dr. Frankenstein is so clever. Yeah. The thing we were talking about before, again, this is one of those great, maybe the best example of when um, what's on the screen mirrors what's happening off of it. Um, Breaking Bad was so audacious with its challenges, challenging it creatively to like, how can our characters best this? And with a character like Walter, he would always use his brain and his scientific acumen to find a way out of it. I mean, remember Magnet's bitch. I mean, it was just outrageous the, the extents that they would go to and it would work. Mike is in a very different, more damaged and kind of beautiful way, a similar character because he always gets out of it. He can always find a way to go to Mexico, extract someone. I really love the yada yadaing of actually getting Nacho back. We yeah. just saw, once again, he's figured out a, a, a truck with a water... Th- I mean, who cares? We just know Mike can do that. So that was really smart that they didn't waste time on that. Um, but what you were saying that I really responded to is, on Better Call Saul, ultimately there are no moves left. And when you are characters who believe either that you are making small decisions without seeing that every small decision leads to a bigger one, or if you're someone like Jimmy slash Saul who believes there is always a play, there is nothing more devastating, right? Yeah. When you're suddenly out of, out of moves. So I, I, I think that that is a really well-observed example of it. I, I also think it speaks to the nature of a Better Call Saul in its overall design, which I know I kind of dinged at the beginning for having like two main characters and three stories, whatever. One thing that is absolutely the case, um, and that's absolutely an improvement that we're seeing bear dividends in the season, is that because they had a sense, a deeper sense of what they were doing and where they were going, all the characters that were on the board in season one will be the significant chess pieces for season six. That was not the case with Breaking Bad, where they were literally making it up as they went along. And so not it's not just Jesse isn't going to die. He's going to become the second protagonist. It's also that repeatedly they would have to introduce new villains or new antagonists or play out aspects of their larger yeah. story with Jesse people. Jesse Plemons. Yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah. It, okay, it's Jesse Plemons. So it's going to be awesome. But it's not exactly the same thing as wondering for three years, why is Patrick Fabian on the show? Oh, because Howard represents you know, in many ways, the final boss that Jimmy's been raging against his whole life. And it, this doesn't seem like it's going to particularly end well. And similarly, Nacho there from the beginning, his arc is significant. So when these terrible things happen that we know they're going to happen anyway in the final season of a show like this, they're happening to people that we've been spending all this time with. And that just that just hits different. This episode is brought to you by Mint Mobile. If you've had it with your overpriced wireless plan with its insanely high monthly bill and unexpected overages, 
Then listen to this. For a limited time, wireless plans from Mint Mobile are $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan. That's unlimited talk, text, and data for $15 a month. Wow, right? To get this new customer offer, just go to mintmobile.com slash watch. That's mintmobile.com slash watch. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower, above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for more details. Oh, such a clutch pickup, Dave. I was worried we'd bring back the same team. I meant those blackout motorized shades. Blinds.com made it crazy affordable to replace our old blinds. Hard to install? No, it's easy. I installed these and then got some for my mom, too. She talked to a design consultant for free and scheduled a professional measure and install. Hall of Fame son. They're the number one online retailer of custom window coverings in the world. Blinds.com is the GOAT. The GOAT. Go to Blinds.com for up to 45% off. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. Today, Healthier is happening at CVS Health in more ways than you've ever seen. It's wellness destinations for seniors, including select locations with Oak Street Health and CVS Pharmacy. It's doctors, nurses, pharmacists, and everyone in between, offering quality care and support virtually, in person, and on the phone. It's in-home evaluations through Signify Health and meeting mental health needs through Aetna. And those are just a few of the ways Healthier is happening. To see more, visit cvshealth.com slash healthierhappenstogether. CVS Pharmacy, Oak Street Health, CVS Specialty, Signify Health, and Aetna are part of CVS Health. Eligibility and services vary by location and individual. The Hargan women seemed to have it all. We were blessed. My mom was amazing. But detectives would soon discover... Inside the house, there were the bodies of two women. A story of betrayal you would struggle to believe if it wasn't true. I am just praying to God this is a sick joke. From 48 Hours, this is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings, wherever you get your podcasts. Well, okay, so there's another thing I think we need to talk about with this. And, and not to make it about Kim, but mm-hmm. Nacho is put in an impossible decision where he has an impossible position where he has to make this decision. It's either going to be his possible survival or his father. It's not mm-hmm. you can't have both. In this episode, Kim very plainly presents mm-hmm. Jimmy with this situation where it's like mm-hmm. you can either be a friend of the cartel or a rat. There's now a binary of your existence. You cannot be cool lawyer guy who may have helped out a few dudes here or there, but ultimately it's you and me and we're trying to like keep slowly moving up the food chain of the Albuquerque, you know, uh, class system. And Demimond. Yeah. Now, it's like you only have two choices. You know, you can only be Jimmy McGill who is breaking your confidentiality and your uh, your privilege with your client to this uh, Albuquerque DA, or you can literally just go full cartel bagman. And I dare say, I don't think Jimmy understands the implications of his decisions on Kim yet. And I was curious whether you thought Kim understands it or is starting to, because I think those first two episodes, Mm -hmm. it's like Kim's breaking bad. Kim's got the the hooded eyes of darkness outside of the Kettleman's you know, offices. Kim is the one being like, what if we did something more audacious? What if we did something more elaborate to punish and to, yeah. to humiliate? And, you know, she has that conversation with the DA and she comes back to Jimmy. And in that moment, I wonder whether, I mean, it's such an incredible scene, but I wonder whether Kim is now regretting where she is or whether she doesn't even know how deep she is and how deep they are. 
Well, I thought I, I really love the way they've been painting her. You know, the the run of track from her conversation with Jimmy in the season finale of the previous season, where she's just like, you know, they're just having hamburgers and ice cream in the same hotel I filmed Briar Patch in. And sorry, I had to. And, uh, you know, she's pushing it. She's pushing it. And that began some of that issue breaking bad talk, right? And then in this season, they're married and they're united. And But then we get to the scenes in last week's episode, the Kettleman's, you know, you see that the fire that burns in her is a different flame that's in Jimmy. You know, I I think that they both share a deep resentment at the just societal unfairness of America, right? Like of how the Howards can keep climbing and and everyone else kind of gets shit on. Um, and Kim sees that when she's it, doing her pro bono work because exactly. it's like the, the poor kid who gets caught while the rich kid does the actual robbery. But it is not her own injury that is being performed. And I think that that's another brilliant thing that the show did very meticulously and surgically over the previous seasons is that what we understand, every we understand Saul Goodman because of the psychological harm done to Jimmy McGill and how everything that he does is still related to Chuck, is still related to the first, I was going to say 30 years of his life, but it's Bob Odenkirk, so we could say 55 years. You know, we could we can fudge it. Um, that is, it's, it is personal. It is not business. For her, you know, it's still a little bit, her, the core of her being is still is still strong. But to the, the great point that you made about, you know, small steps leading to larger ones, she's married to him now. Mm-hmm. And it is no longer an abstract of I want to keep him out of trouble or we're going to do a con at a bar and not hurt anyone and be Robin Hoods, basically. Yeah. You know, I think she's been able to justify that. But the specter of cartel and cartel violence is just way too, it's way too large. And so, you know, it, this isn't this isn't a spoiler. This is what we thought was coming for multiple seasons. Not her necessary, not necessarily that she will die, but that she is a tragedy. Mm-hmm. You know, what 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 has happened to her is the tragedy of this series. And and this is when we start to see it. I mean, Ray Seahorn's face in the office of the prosecutor, right, when she just goes completely still, yeah. which is le- legal training, right? Like she's really good at poker facing it and being professional and, you know, having people just- She does. I would love to have her negotiate my next deal with Bill. I, I've been <laughs> joking that I want Rich Paul to do it, but Ray Seahorn being like- that's very interesting. Thank you for telling me. What do you want? <laughs> Pretty amazing. Pretty yeah. amazing. I I love that. And I love that it's the this is what this is the benefit of all the time we've spent with all of the scenes in the first two seasons that we felt were maybe minor, right? Is they are just all leading. They they themselves are small steps leading to the larger ones. She's playing the same character now, but the circumstances have changed so gradually. It's it's still it's still just a beautiful machine that they've done. And I love those quieter moments now when we can just sort of sit back and admire it. Yeah, I mean, I, there, there's no really way to speculate. I said, I, I'm actually in no rush to finish the series. You know what I yeah. mean? For despite how uh, tense it is and stressful it is, I find it to be honestly gorgeous. Like, if if possible, I feel like the... Uh, the compositions and the the, sh- the the sort of cinematography have gotten more and more rich to the point now where there are no 
traditional shots. Like there aren't really masters and and mm-hmm. you know over the shoulder shots anymore. It's all shot through the bottom of a shattered piece of glass that will be you know Nacho's brief respite from torture. Mm-hmm. You know or you know these like kind of just beautiful angles that they find for the most ordinary conversational scenes. But you know I I, I do have. I do feel like very much like the nacho thing is some sort of, it portends very poorly for Kim, you know, and it'll be fascinating. I have, I've been a victim or I've been uh, guilty of trying to reverse engineer this show from what we know from Breaking Bad, whether it's because of, you know, Mike and Gus's seemingly close relationship in Breaking Bad that would suggest Mike is not going to take Nacho's death mm-hmm. that personally for too long, at least, or maybe, maybe Gus turns around and, puts Kaylee in, in harm's way. I have no idea like what is was gonna connect those two. Uh obviously Kim's not in Breaking Bad. And Nacho's presence is still in Breaking Bad. You know what I mean? He does say, was it Ignacio or was it Lalo or whatever yeah. that that part is odd only because Jimmy had nothing to do with any of this, you know, and is still well, under the yeah. impression that Lalo's yeah. dead. So clearly the story of Nacho, or as he says in the show, Ignacio, being involved in the Lalo thing that leads to whatever Lalo is coming back to do is going to have to, it's going to have to have a big imprint on Jimmy for him to be blurting that out. And the show, you know, do I care if that lines up? No, but they care, you know, so I'm expecting it to be done and to to be done well. And I think that what you're hinting at is, is important because they've had a lot of time to think about this in particular. And they are the types of writers, I think, that do think about it, which is, I think Emily Nussbaum at The New Yorker expressed this first, and I've always really admired and agreed with it, which is that Breaking Bad uniquely ended twice, right? It ends with, um, well, Ozymandias is the crescendo. Yes. One of the greatest episodes of television ever made. And then there's almost a choose-your-own-adventure ending. There's a, there's a version of the world where Granite State, where Walter ends his life alone with useless barrels of money in New Hampshire, is the end of the show. And it is low-key and small-bore and devastating. And then there's the actual finale of the show, or at least in terms of how it aired, it was the actual official finale, where he comes roaring back, yes, writes all Jesse. the wrongs, yes, and dies in a blaze money. of glory. Yeah. Um, and you can kind of pick which one feels right to you. And I think, and I think, I, I, I really, I respect that that they gave us both versions. But I do think that they've spent a lot of time considering what that means now and what that would mean for the for this show, and you know how they judge and view their characters and what they want to leave us with. So it's I think it's in play that Gene in Omaha gets a happy ending and finds Kim, you know, and, and is together with her. I think it's in play, but I, which is interesting, but I'm in no hurry to find out what happens. I'm very interested in finding out how they how they decided to end up there. Yeah. And also I was wondering, this is a broader question and one we can talk about through the rest of the season, but this this show, this whole enterprise, both shows, has some pretty devastating things to say about family, like having one, you yeah. know? Like, and the ability to both, uh, not not to be too glib and reference that Atlantic cover that was actually about feminism, about like, can you have it all? Do men deserve to love people because they just hurt them? <laughs> like that is literally what this show is, right? Like, yeah, Nacho. It's basically Nacho, like if you love someone in your life, are they going to be on the other end of Mike's sniper rifle? Inevitably, on this show, yeah. they will be. You know, yeah. the only people who are, who are successful for whatever that means. I mean, are ones who have gone through the fire and lost it already. As soon yes. as you have anyone, you're doomed. 
you know, and I, I it's 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 that's not new. That was the case in Breaking Bad, you know, with with what, why was Mike doing this? Oh, we found out it was for his granddaughter. That was why he did everything. Um, Gus, perhaps the most successful um, sociopath, it's because of what happened to his brother, right? That he didn't have anyone at all anymore, and yeah. so he could just go full beast mode for the rest of his life. Um, it's pretty gnarly. It's pretty yeah. bleak. And I mean, and Kim, G- who I Jimmy think has, has no, shed his family. Yeah, Kim. Jimmy has no family. Get along with her mom, Kim, right? Yeah, and so, but the fact that they've now bound themselves to each other as family is the. I mean, in many ways, that we'll probably look back on that decision as and fatal. You know what's as funny? You mentioned that it's Nacho's like decision. They're only family in these legally binding terms. You know, they took mm-hmm. they chose to be married because it made their they gave them spousal privilege. Mm-hmm. I still feel like every time they kiss, I'm like, "Are you sure? Yeah, sure, you love it." Like it's like that because like you guys can be best friends and partners in crime and law. And I think that there's a lot of like beauty in the, their relationship and the way that they eat together and the way that they work mm. together and the way that they help one another prepare and train. But yeah. it's not like this like... That's a good point. I mean, they don't have a Romeo ton of chemistry. This Romeo and Juliet thing where we can't stay apart from one another, you know? It's, not, it's, it's a really interesting point. And I'm sure they've considered this and it's intentional to a degree. I mean, it's not romantic. It has always been a little bit transactional. I think that they deeply love each other in their damaged ability to love, right? But right. but you're totally right. There's a moment in this episode where she kisses him. And I was like, oh, right. I yeah. forgot. Or when I rewatched the season finale and they're under the sheets together, I'm like, maybe they were just cold. <laughs> no, because they wake up together forget. the other, like uh, in the first episode of this season and they're like, hello. And, and I, I'm just kind of like, no, people usually don't, like they they actually seem sincerely happy to spend all of their available time with one another, but it's not like this. Again, Breaking Bad is not about destiny and fate, nor is it about star-crossed mm-hmm. lovers. It's about people uh, who make these little decisions. And you're so that's such a great observation that like the people who live longest on Breaking Bad or in the Better Call Saul world are the ones who shed their family, and that is true also for Walter to some extent. Yes, it, but it's also a really, um, it's a good point to make in light of, in that New Yorker piece, which maybe we could tweet out or put in the show notes or whatever, I thought it was really interesting. It talked about something, and we've mentioned this before too, but the way the show hits different with everyone coming back older, mm-hmm. like it, it, it's, you, they don't try to hide it. They can't hide it. Like everyone, Huel looks different. Everybody looks different than they did when they were on Breaking Bad, and this is happening years before that. But I think, in some cases, it really helps the drama play out um, because the Kim and Jimmy relationship is definitely an older person's vision yeah. of a successful partnership yeah. in the way that the camera lingers most lovingly season after season on Kim brushing her teeth before bed yeah. in her little like athleisure tank tops. like and, and that is the kind of like quotidian intimacy that can define a you know very contented life it's not hot for each other legal associates you know which i guess theoretically they were supposed to be at least david and kelly like is like tell me more <laughs> yeah, exactly i just i just sold that straight to series to hulu um it's like, it, what if it, jimmy mcgill and kim wexler love to get it on <laughs> it's jim and kim coming yeah. this fall to the cw yeah, it's it's a very very 
it's a very different thing. And, it, and, it, and I think that's also one of the reasons why the show is so successful. It's very elegiac. It's very like, it comes chronologically before, but it does feel like a much more grave and mature storytelling exercise than Breaking Bad was. I'm, we are at a point now with Banks, though, where they're going to need like Thanos to touch him with the Infinity Gauntlet for him to like go to his 2002 age, you know? He, him, I don't know. Like, there's something, I don't he know whether it's good as hell, but he, he is incredible. definitely much older than he was. I know, but I also have to say, may, maybe this is projection, but I am a very big fan of the switch that some older men and women can pull, which is just like, okay, now I have to pay attention to this. So I'm going to work a, an enormous amount to just be actively better and more fit than I was when yes. I didn't have to worry about it. And like yeah. Odenkirk obviously did Taken, you know, whatever. And he looks, he looks diesel. Nobody. But Banks. Yeah. Uh, oh, right. I meant his version of Taken, right. Yes. Uh, but, but, but Banks is, Banks looks incredible. Maybe and Banks, Banks has done his version of stillness. Taken. He just never, it, it never came out. It was just part of his like acting regime, you know? I I talked about this uh, a couple years ago, but that dude is the mayor of Albuquerque. Like I was on a plane with him a couple times. I saw him at the beautiful Los Poblanos Resort, just like wearing a Gallabera shirt, holding a cocktail, and taking pictures with everyone while peacocks frolicked behind him. Like his life's his life's good. Like he, yeah. Kim Dickens on the way to to set flew with him once, and they sat next to each other, and he was just like, "Here's where you get your apartment. Here's where you spend your time." It's a nice life. You know, he just basically like, <laughs> he and his wife have a condo. They fly in, they fly yeah. out. He wanders out he, into the desert for a couple of days at a time, comes back and everybody's just like, that's the best character actor alive. I mean, I do like the scene when they, they did the shot of him with a sniper rifle. And I was like, he, he he's can he, not can lying he get up? in the dirt. Yeah. I was like, that's not him. I was like, that's just not him. They, 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 he, they need a stunt performer for him, but it's only to lie prone on the ground. Yeah. That, that's what it is. Is there anything else you wanted to say about this season so far in general since you didn't get a chance to public a comment on the first two episodes? No, just to say that um, the experience with the show, whether it's one year off or two years off, it's just, I, I feel like like Charlie Brown with the football where it's like I, I get so excited for it to come back because I'm so warm with affection and love for the series and the production and everything. And then it comes back and I have basically forgotten every single thing about the show and I, I like, forget the, the who are the guys in Peru that they blame everything on I was like those I, guys in Breaking Bad I can't remember like do they show I, up in <laughs> I had no idea and no, also I mean, they're not, but yeah but I forget that um I just forget that the show just doesn't give a fuck about your expectations in terms of its pace you know that like here we go that whole sequence with Nacho's condo with the the young women and then the safe and then the Peruvian stuff. I mean, there's a different, less good version of the show where there's like, yeah, we took care of his place. But this yeah. show gives 20 minutes to process always. Because that winds up being, I think, a yeah. scene where Mike is doing Gus's bidding, mm -hmm. but has mm -hmm. a moment where he can take those two identity cards and obscure Nacho's exit strategy from Gus. Right? Yes. Yes. And that he could it, theoretically maybe get the card, although it, Nacho's dad is very clear that like, he's not leaving his upholstery shop. He is not going anywhere. You know. No, the the show is flexing in a way that I don't even know if it did in the first two seasons, where like it built that whole I was referring to it before that whole like beautiful opening montage, only to linger on some piece of shit in the gutter. I'm like, yeah. I, I'm sorry, what? Like, I, 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 
if you knew that that was Kim's beloved tequila bottle stopper, like, right. congratulations, you eat it, it, you eat free tonight at Bennigan's. At, at El Camino like, restaurant, yeah. I, no mortal knows what that is. Few mortals could see what it was, despite the high-definition televisions many of us have, you know? And so I, I, I respect the show now. It's not even going to hold your hand. It is making the show for itself, for its mythology, for its legacy, and for the future when the majority of people who haven't watched it yet, and also probably everyone who's going to rewatch it, is going to just binge the shit out of it and will immediately be like, hey, Kettleman's are back. As yeah. opposed to like, she looks familiar. Yeah, where it's uh, like, which is my Betsy, experience. Betsy, okay, Breaking Bad Wikipedia, you're now my most used <laughs> website other than the NBA schedule like yes. results on Google. Um, why don't we wrap it up there? It was just a tremendous episode. Shout out Michael Mando. I hope he gets rewarded for his incredible, if brief performance this season, his face on the fucking phone. I am never going to forget it when he's talking was to a, his father. And that was a beautiful scene. And he holds it all in and then kind of yes. lets it out and then decides to die. And it's just amazing. It's an amazing, and it's one, it's one of, I don't know how many takes they did of that, but I love, I'm happy you mentioned that before we wrap up, just because I was just imagining what it must've been like to be on set, watching this actor deliver, not knowing what he's going to deliver and know that the cameras are rolling. And then yeah. know in that moment, he did all of it. And knowing, you know, the way actors are, he probably didn't know he did it. You know, he right. probably felt exposed or nervous or wanted to run a goat again or thought maybe they'd use the second one, but that was everything. Yeah. It was great seeing you again, man. Thank you to Kai McMullen for producing us. We should do it again sometime. We should podcast again. Maybe we should talk <laughs> about Winning Time, other shows. I, I heard, I was away for a long time. I heard that there were a lot of TV shows on in my absence, which is it's why- It's not even that, Andy, as much as what's coming. Yeah. And, and really? Winter is, winter is coming in the spring now. It's just so, so much stuff. Barry, We Own the City, Saul, all on. Yeah. Are you you're but, out on those shows? No, that's fine. But I do think it's important that, and winning time I want to circle back to, but I do think it's important that we hold Thursday to talk about my feelings about watching No Time to Die on a plane. And also maybe I could just ask some follow-ups about your drug church interview because I've just been, I've been compiling a dossier and I just thought that could be Thursday. I have some footage from, uh, well, it's not my footage, but I can send you some cool links of videos from the drug church show that I went to. I would love to see that. I okay. would love to see that. I'd, lo I'd love to forward that footage to the CDC and get their thoughts on not just the, you know, the, just the protocols They'll be like, take taken. your mask off and would you like a complimentary <laughs> bag of peanuts? <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. Kaya produced this. We will be back on Thursday to chat about No Time to Die. Can't wait. Talk to you guys soon. <laughs> it's the best, best podcast on the internet. 